0: morning morning. you can open to Ephesians 6 as we continue our look at the whole armor of God we're actually still in the introductory part this morning we'll we'll look specific most specifically at verse 13 and then next week we'll, we'll actually get into the pieces of armor i gonna open in prayer and then I'll read um, verses 10 through 13. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning, another Lord's Day in which we are privileged um, to enter in with our brothers and sisters to worship you, the Most High, and for the glory um, of your Son, his name, and for his sake, Lord, I pray that you'll bless your people today and that you'd be honored and glorified both through this time of study as well as throughout this building and in all the Sunday school classes, and prepare us to hear your word as a congregation this morning as we look at the abounding grace you provide in forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins. So help us to see our need for this armor and in what it means to have it on, take it up, to keep it on. In Christ's name, amen. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Uh, the drama of Scripture is, as you know, the conflict, the conflict between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the of the serpent, from Genesis uh, 3.15 on, um, human beings enter this world um, subject to the prince of the power of the air, according to Ephesians 2.2, Satan, who's the god of this world, uh, blinds human beings from the beauty of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4, Christians, all those who are truly the Lord's are, are, are in a battle, um, not merely against visible enemies, but as we read here, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, verse 12, Ephesians 6. But nevertheless, um, Satan um, and his minions, Satan and demons, um, those forces uh, were, were dealt a mortal blow at the cross. Colossians 2, verses 10 through 15, we read that they were stripped of their authority, that Christ put them to open shame, triumphing over them by way of the cross. Jesus, the exalted Lord, the ascended Son of God, God incarnate, rules over all demonic powers, Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 22, Satan and his demons were cast out of heaven after the ascension of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at that in Revelation 12. That is, he can no longer accuse the brethren before the throne of God because Christ is there representing us Um, as our mediator. Jesus foretold he'd be cast out of heaven in John chapter 12 and verse 31. Now he's come down in great wrath, knowing he's defeated. He's like a wounded animal. He knows his time is short. He therefore seeks whom he may devour. And in response, believers must put their trust in Christ, clothing themselves with the grace and power that is theirs in Christ. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Because the struggle with Satan, the struggle with his minions, his legions... Will not see its conclusion until Christ returns and they're cast into the lake of fire. We have that. We get that. Now, with regard to um, spiritual warfare, there are two um, extreme positions. There are those who, who see a demon lurking around every corner. Have you met those people? You know, behind every bush. You know, there's a demon, and they attribute every negative occurrence in their life to the devil. They assign to Satan attributes that belong to God alone. They're misled in thinking that Satan is omnipotent, only God is. They're misled to to believe that he's omniscient, all-knowing, only God is. And that he's omnipresent. Satan can be in one place at one time. Only God is omniscient. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omnipotent. Amen? Some think that Satan is the evil counterpart of God. You know, the yin and the yang. So they live in this constant fear um, of the demonic realm. That's one extreme view. The other is to underestimate the power and the warfare of Satan. Some people presume that there is no demonic activity around them at all. And therefore, we we see that they're ignorant of Satan's what? Schemes. One of his greatest tricks is try and convince people that he doesn't exist. So the other extreme is to presume that the sovereignty of God um, refutes any activity of Satan whatsoever. But it's according to the sovereignty of God and God's providence that, that uh, that it's made known to us that he does exist, he knows his time is short, and he's seeking those whom he may devour. It's right here. So all that to say we must have a biblical, balanced um, view of spiritual warfare. Amen? Now, the devil, he's relentless in his attack. He, <clears throat> he shows no discrimination with regards to God's people. Um, he, he produces, as we know, lawlessness from the beginning. He poses the question, what? Hath God really said? Hath God really said. He's the lawless one, the enemy of God, the the rebel of heaven, the liar of, of all liars, manipulator, deceiver. And notice in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, we're warned against false teachers, false apostles, deceitful workers who, notice, they transform themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder, says Paul, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, of course, every religious system in the world Is organized and perpetuated by the Prince of Darkness, by Satan himself. Whereas they are operated and sustained by sinful mankind. So not only does he, Satan, orchestrate false religion, he also attempts to twist God's Word in order to confuse God's people false doctrine. He, he wants to attack the mind. And as I said, as we see this unfold in the coming weeks, spiritual warfare in, in taking up and putting on the whole armor of God is basically to protect two things, and that is how we think and how we feel. He tries to manipulate emotions. He tries, he tries to um, manipulate how we think. So on one hand, when Paul says we we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul is referring, okay, think about this first century in this letter to the Ephesians. Here he's referring to the collision between Christianity and paganism. Collision between um, Christianity and, at this time, pagan governments. Emperors who, who demanded that you bow before them. And, and declare them as, as gods. On the other hand, um, while those um, who arrested Paul and, and crucified the Lord Jesus Christ uh, were men, they were flesh and blood, uh, these earthly rulers, these people in positions of power, um, were in effect doing the devil's bidding. Do you remember the night When Jesus was betrayed, Jesus takes the bread, dips it, puts it into the mouth of Judas, and we read that at that moment, what? Satan entered him, and Jesus gave the command, what you do, do quickly. It was a command not only to Judas, but also to Satan who indwelt Judas. So here Paul knows that anyone who names the name of Christ will be subject to persecution, hardship, possibly even arrest and execution, certainly when he he penned this to the church in Ephesus. And Paul knows that that it's very easy for believers, those who are in Christ Jesus, to see their immediate circumstances and lash out um, at, at men and women who are opposing them or opposing the faith and so on. And Paul is very wise. He knows the reason that it's happening. And it's because those people live in darkness. And Satan is referred to as the prince of darkness. And Jesus says they dwell in darkness because their deeds are evil. So Satan works in the unbelieving and through um, the unbelieving world, opposing um, God's people. The source is Satan. Behind all philosophies and ideologies, um, all forms of paganism, um, there is the prince of darkness and the liar um, of all liars. And, and no Christian, and here's the point that Paul's driving home, no Christian can oppose these forces in, in his or own strength. If you try to do this in your own strength, you'll be destroyed, you'll be deceived, and you'll fall per- perhaps into, into a pit of sin, and you'll remain there in that mire. Deceived. And therefore, there are so many warnings in Scripture to not be what? Deceived. Be not deceived. But here in the midst of this hostility, um, God does not leave us to ourselves. We're not left alone here um, to, to, to fight these forces. And this brings Paul... Um, to to offer the, the exhortation that's found in verse 13. Notice, therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So there you have a command, an imperative to the people of God. And there's the reason for the command. And then he reiterates the reason for the command. So a command, reason for the command in reiteration of the reason for the command. So therefore, he says, um, he, he summarizes what he just said in verses 10 through 12. We looked at that last time. So as a result um, of this, um, our sinister Um, enemy, we must therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, believer, this is your duty, he says. Your duty is to take up, all believers, every single individual believer, take up the whole armor of God, knowing that the great strength of our enemy will destroy us, lest we take it up. And these weapons are useless. Useless, unless we put them on and take them up. So here, God makes provision. We cannot cannot, uh, afford to neglect um, any part um, of the armor. Satan looks for unguarded areas of the believer, and he wants to get a foothold. He tries to get a grip on our lives. And notice we're called to successfully resist. Take up the whole armor, and you will be able to withstand. That is enabled. Be always taking up the armor. He says, take it up, put it on, keep it on. Everywhere you go, that's the intent every day of your lives. So the Christian notice is to dress him or herself. Someone else cannot dress, dress you. Your friend can't do it. Your mom can't do it. Daddy can't do it. It's a command. Put it on. You know, it's not enough to have, you know, you ever heard of William Gurnall? Uh, William Gurnall's classic work on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. He was a Puritan. He, I have this book in my library. It's like 1,200 pages on the whole armor of God. You can have the book on your shelf, or you can read Spurgeon, or you can read um, Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, 52 sermons he did on the whole armor of God. You can have all that stuff on your shelf. goody goody for you. (laughs) He says, take it up, put it on, keep it on every day. Don't just read about it. Put it on. The whole armor, because victory against these schemes is not automatic. That's the point. It's not automatic. Take it up, put it on. It's not enough to sit around and meditate on and dwell upon your justification. Some people think it's enough to sit around and think about how much Jesus loves you. to dwell on your position in Christ. That's not enough. We have to do more than sit around and think about it. And if we do that, and that's all we do, we'll be defenseless. And we will give place for the devil. Now, back in chapter 4 and verse 27, there's a command, give no place for the devil. Instead, take up the whole armor. There's six pieces that we'll look at in the coming weeks of armor. There's the belt. There's the breastplate, that is the belt of truth. There's the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. There's the shoes, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's a shield, that is the shield of faith, helmet, helmet of salvation. And then there's the sword, sword of the spirit, which is the the word of God. And then woven throughout every piece is prayer. It's prayer. We're going to see today, you can pray your brains out. And if you're in a place of unrepentant sin, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, you're trapped. He's tricked you. You're deceived. He's schemed you. And your prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling. So one one observation says, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, the helmet of salvation, your your feet shod with with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So it's very easy to visualize um, these pieces, but we want to know what does it mean for the Christian life. So that's what we're going to be after in the next few weeks. So it is all by faith that we we appropriate these pieces, the whole armor, um, to, to our lives because it is of God, it comes from God, it's for the glory of God, and they're perfectly suited for this particular conflict. Every piece for this kind of unseen battle. So, the weaponry actually um, bears the attributes of God himself. Notice, um, he is perfect truth. We're to walk in truth. We're to think truthfully. We're to speak truthfully. He is perfect righteousness. He is perfect peace. He is perfect power. He is truth, righteousness, peace, power, perfectly omnipotent. In all of this, he provides for us so that we can stand and what? Resist. Schemes, tricks. So in that sense, we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Now, not in a salvific sense. Not not in a salvific sense, but in a sanctifying sense and ever-strengthening way, we're we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ as we don these pieces in our daily Christian walk. If not, we'll we'll be overcome by discouragement, we'll be tricked, misled, discouraged, and we'll sink in humiliating defeat. This is what he's trying to prepare us for. So there's the command... And next, he gives the reason. Okay, take it up, put it on, keep it on, so that, notice, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Notice he says able. That means divine enablement. We cannot enable ourselves, amen? He enables us. We're made able. We are never self-enabled for this life in Christ, for this walk, for this stance. So no matter what the assault, whether it's a lie, whether it's seduction, whether it's temptation, whether it's deceit, we are enabled to stand. Resist. Hold your ground. Dig in your heels. Don't be shaken. Don't don't be moved. You can repel his temptations. You can repel the deceit, the lies. You can overcome any attempt of discouragement and spiritual defeat. Notice the, the day is evil, the enemy is evil. And being able to stand in the evil day, it means many things. But as I've said before, I got this from Sinclair Ferguson. The, the evil day, it's many things, but one thing it is for certain is when temptation, desire, and opportunity, what? They all meet. When temptation, desire, and opportunity all meet, meet, and it makes for the perfect storm. You can have desire without being tempted. You can have opportunity without desire, and so on. but when they meet, look out. Guards down, swept up and, and swept away. Now, um, there are um, opportune times. Um, in all of our lives, that we are uh, much more vulnerable than at other times. Amen? And that makes us um, unusually um, success, susceptible to the, the, the tactics of, of Satan. Now, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And I want you to notice something in, in Luke Chapter 4, if you turn to Luke 4. I mean, in Matthew's account, right, Jesus is baptized. He goes to John the Baptist, he's baptized. God speaks from heaven. Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. God speaks from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit drives Jesus out where? to the desert, to be what? Tempted. So he he, he goes through all of these temptations. The devil's very shrewd. Jesus stands and resists. He stands on the word. He speaks the word. And notice in verse 13. And when the devil had ended... Every temptation, he departed from him until what? An opportune time. In the evil day. Another opportune time for the evil day. So here, after a great spiritual victory, this will happen to us as well, after a great spiritual victory... Right, a mountain, a mountaintop experience, if you will, Um, we we might put our guard down. You know, service rendered unto the Lord. Wow, we're tired. It was great. We saw a lot of fruit from it, so we put our guard down. Um, After an an evangelistic um, effort with someone, or you share the gospel, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with some old friends of mine for five hours this week. Five hours. Was exhausted. <laughs> and you may put your guard down. Sometimes there's answered prayer. You put your, your guard down. That's an opportune time. Here, Jesus was, was alone. He was alone with the, for 40 days. He's out in the wilderness by himself. If we're alone, that's a wide open door of opportunity. For the enemy. If we forsake this fellowship, wide open door. When we limit fellowship, you become a sitting duck for this. Because, oh, nobody's looking. I'm not really accountable to anybody. Opportune time. Opportune time. After spiritual victories, it can be an opportune time if we're not careful. Now Jesus, he fasted for 40 days. Fast for 40 days, you're gonna be tired, wearied, hungry, opportune time. When we're weak, when we're physically tired, uh, emotionally wearied, that's an opportune time. It's easy to give in, it's easy to cave in. You mothers know this, raising these children of yours, having to deal with your husband in a good way, caring for your husband, caring for your children, you're at home all day. You're tired, weary. Or when you're, you work hard, you work long hours, you're you know, burning the candle at both ends, whatever. It's an opportune time. Makes us much more susceptible to, to his ploys and his schemes. Um, serving in, in the early phases of ministry, Jesus was just commencing his public ministry. Satan tempts him, and we're, we're told he ended and departed until an opportune time. He'll be back. You know, the early stages of ministry can be challenging. We started here, is it going to be 12 years? Yeah, 12 years. You have barriers. There's, there's opposition. There's red tape. There's trouble and troublemakers. Troublemakers. Are the worst, the troublemakers. (coughs) Opportune time. Um, In times of intensified prayer. Jesus has been in fellowship with the Father for 40 days. After times for us, with regard to intensified prayer, um, when we reinforce our prayer life, don't think that that power isn't sensed by the enemy. Amen? It strengthens us, as we'll see, For instance, have you ever found it to be true that when you're praying intensely for somebody, say an unbeliever, you're just throwing up intercessory prayer for this individual, and this individual, as you pray, seems to become more hostile to the gospel? Amen? The war's real. It's an old Chinese proverb, I think. He says, when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one who barks the loudest is the one who got hit. Right? So sometimes it's during intensified times of prayer. It's an opportune time. But we're reminded again in Romans 8, verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? So here, Paul reiterates this same vital truth yet again. Here's the command. Here's the reason for the command. And notice, he reiterates, notice, and having done all, to stand firm. There's two different views on, on this end, end of this verse, okay? And I think they're both applicable. One is, is the idea of a soldier holding a position while under attack. Okay, stand firm, verses 11, 13, and 14. Hold your ground. Many think that the end of verse 13 has to do uh, with more preparation for conflict. Okay, meaning um, having done everything to resist, now stand ready for the attack. Okay, that's one view. Another view is this. Having done all that pertains to combat, Clothing yourself with all these pieces. Having overcome the opposition and the combat that the battle is over. The war goes on. The war is ultimately won in Christ, but for us, battles continue on until the end. Here, he says, stand and maintain your ground, that through this battle, you stand victoriously. There's that view. Conveying the idea that if you're prepared to, to withstand here, this inevitable battle, it's going to happen, and having done all to stand, the result will be a victorious stance for you. That's the other view. I think they're both applicable. They're both. Very applicable. And in both instances, um, the, the Apostle Paul, whatever view you take, or I'd say take both, the Apostle Paul is concerned about a standing firm. Why? Because a wobbly Christian who has no firm stance, they're easy prey. That's the point. You're going to be blown over. Deceived. Overcome. So he wants you to be equipped so that you can withstand Withstand the attack and stand firm in victory that's ours in Christ. Amen? That's why I think it's both. So let's just close up with some stand firm um, passages. First Corinthians um, 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Notice this, I love this. Act like a man. Be strong. It's not in our own strength, it's in God's strength. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, says Paul to the church of Corinth, for you stand firm in your faith. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15. So then, brothers, here it is again, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Stand firm. 1 Peter 5, 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Isn't that great? This is the true grace of God. Stand firm. John Calvin comments. He says this. Quote, there will be no danger which may not be successfully met by the power of God, nor will any who with the armor of God fight against Satan and fail in the day of battle. You're guaranteed victory in every battle when you take up, put on, and keep on the whole armor of God. So all that to say, beloved, it's not a question if you're attacked, but when. It's a matter of when it's coming. So he wants us to be strong, to be stable in the midst of the deceit, the lies, the temptations of the devil. So daily then we're to remember our our identity in Christ. We're to put on Christ, put on the whole armor, um, putting on his graces, casting off. Here's the big part of this. Also, it's casting off the rebellious impulses that we possess in Adam. I was telling the the men this morning before we prayed, um, I had to repent like a dozen times visiting a friend of mine. I had to repent of covetousness for for his home. (laughs) It's beautiful home. You ever you ever fall prey to those things? Never. <laughs> Higher ground, third row. <laughs> so, in, in doing so and in, in putting on the whole armor of God, we're guaranteed success um, in all of our spiritual conflicts. So we'll start next week uh, with the belt of truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word again. And uh, help us um, to to do so, to put on the whole armor that you provide um, for the glory of your name, for the good and the strength of your people, we ask in Christ's name, amen.